<laughs> Good evening, Anthony. Um, Good evening. We're very, very happy uh, that you take the time. And um, I think I, since I do these talks uh, and prepare them together with my wife, um, we we obviously always looking forward to speak to the people. But at the same time, it's great fun to research the people. And yeah. my wife, I don't know how many times in the last couple of days, she said, this man is a legend. Oh my God, he, he is, he is the, I wrote a few things down. He's the by far the best known voice in cycling worldwide, full-time working in this business for 17 years. You hosted the UCR World Cup, the World Championships for road track, cyclocross. You freelance commentator for BBC, ITV, Eurosport, CNN, Sky, Bein Sport, NBC, Super Sports, and many more. I think that's just unbelievable. I think everybody knows your voice, knows your, your face when, you, when you're on, on stage and presenting the events. So we're, we're really, very happy to have you here. And I'm sure we're going to have an interesting hour um, to, to talk about all the things you have seen. Um, so thank you very much for taking the time. Yeah, no problem. Thanks very much for asking me. That, that's making me blush a little bit. Yeah. All of that, that list of things, because you don't realize, do you, when you're doing things, you don't realize how much you you have achieved, I suppose. Um, but it's been a lot, actually, when you start to reel off things like that. <laughs> the, the list is actually quite a bit longer because obviously we have all the events and, and uh, yeah. so we're going through this. I, I want to start a little bit at the beginning. So when was the first time you, you realized that you had a talent and that your voice was good and that you could memorize things and you could mesmerize people with what you say? When does this start? Um, I guess like my love of cycling started 1982. Um, I watched, I don't know why, but I ended up sitting on the sofa with my dad watching the Goodwood World Championships of 1982, the famous one where Greg LeMond attacks, um, attacks his teammate over the top of the climb. Yes. And Cerrone wins the World Championships and LeMond attacks Bauer, um, Boyer, over the top of the climb and there's all this scandal. And uh, an Italian wins and an American doesn't. Um, and my dad turned to me and said, you really enjoyed watching that, didn't you? And I, I loved it. I don't know why. I just loved the color and the speed and everything. Um, but I didn't know what cycling was. And then if you fast forward around seven years, I'd raced as a, I'd found my way into cycling. So I raced as a schoolboy and I raced as a junior and I started to progress into being a senior rider. And my dad used to promote some town centre races yes. about 15 minutes from where we live now in a town called Winchester, which uh, is the ancient capital of, the, of, um, of England. And uh, I was riding a race that day and the race was a club race, but there was about, it's a really small town. It's quite famous. The architecture's lovely. There was a couple of thousand people watching and the commentator was a guy in the club and he got stage fright. So he literally turned around to my dad and said, I just can't, I can't do this in front of all these thousands of people. And we had sponsors and we had loads of riders and everything. And I'd finished my race at this time and dad was stood there with his microphone and he said, I don't know what I'm going to do. And I, I don't know why. I don't know why I thought I could even do it. I just said, um, oh, just give me the microphone. I'll have a go. And I had a go. And uh, I must have been okay because um, I got a response from the crowd. 
And then after about a couple of weeks, I got asked to do uh, some track racing, uh, which was local as well. So I ended up doing the track league every Wednesday night on an outdoor track uh, to 10 people watching, you know, hardly anybody. <laughs> and then uh, bit by bit, it just became bigger and bigger and bigger. And I got asked to do more and more races. And it's incredible because actually when I became the speaker of London 2012, when I got home from the Olympics at the end of a crazy two weeks, there was a letter um, and we don't really write letters anymore, do we? Yeah. Now you write emails to people and it's very rare you get a letter, but there was a letter for me and I opened the letter and it was from the sponsor of our club when I was a kid. Fantastic. And he'd written this letter and he said, uh, Anthony, I just wanted to say that it's pretty incredible that you can, I've heard your voice as the speaker of the London Olympics. Yes. It's a really long way from sitting on the top of a double glazing truck in Winchester when you were really young, doing your first ever commentary. And he remembers it. <laughs> fantastic, fantastic. Yes, yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> How old were you when, you when you started? I was trying to remember this the other day. I think I was 21 or 22. Okay. Yeah. Fantastic. So it was a while ago. <laughs> Fantastic. And um, obviously, I'm, I'm fairly new into this business and, and uh, talking to people. So do you have some tips? Should I kind of hold on to my German accent or any any other tips uh, speaking slowly? Or what, what can you give me uh, to remember all the names and stuff? You have any good tips? I think you're doing really well anyway, Wolfie. I think uh, I've been watching your talks and they're great. I think the most important thing to remember is you have to be yourself. So yeah, you can try and be like someone, but you can't. You have to be yourself. And mm -hmm. I think that's what I've realized over all the time I've been doing this. Yes, you can change and you can progress, but you have to fundamentally be yourself. Mm -hmm. And I think the tips that I've, all, I've learned is actually don't say too much. Leave a lot of silence um, and try and put yourself in the seat of someone who doesn't really know about your sport and try and put it across to them and excite them in the way that you were excited when the first time you got into cycling or you know me sitting on the sofa with my dad and getting excited about it very good That's, yeah, i think sometimes you forget this when we when i'm speaking about bikes and stuff then you have so many details you want to share with someone and you, you have to pick them up uh, where are they at the moment and, and explain them the, the basics of the sport now that's true yeah do you have any good tips for a sore throat? I'm, I'm sure you sometimes have this. And... <laughs> yeah, a lot. You know, you've got to be really careful with your voice because it's yeah. like a musical instrument, isn't it? Yes. It's just got to, you've got to be very, very careful. So I always have um, some lozenges with me, uh, but you have to be really careful what ones you use because some of them coat your throat. Uh, so you need something that's a little bit more herbal than um, than a real medical lozenge, okay. just to keep your throat lubricated. The other thing is you have to be very, very careful if you commentate in the tribunes, the trucks that we're in, yes. that you never sit underneath the air conditioning. Because mm -hmm. the air conditioning just blows on your vocal cords, yes. and over the course of five or six days, you lose your voice. And once you lose your voice, you can't get paid. Mm -hmm. 
So you have to really look after it and um, drink a lot of water. Very good. You, you're I warming up. A lot. You're warming your voice up like a singer. You do some, you do some training that you have a... a, a... Some people do. Um, I don't so much. I've never really needed to, but I do warm my voice up before I speak, before I speak um, on a long day. Yes. But another thing you shouldn't do is clear your voice either. So you shouldn't um, clear your throat. Mm -hmm. I've always been taught you should hum. Mm -hmm. So just hum to warm your vocal cords up. And then that way things get better. And also in a long commentary, don't hit it full on at the start. You have to build up. Yeah. You have a good singing voice? I was good when I was younger. I don't know now. We're going to ask you to sing at the end of the show so you can oh, mend it. You? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't know. I don't know if that's a good idea. <laughs> when, you go, when you go shopping and, and, and you, you go somewhere, is it sometimes that people really kind of look at you strange and they recognize your voice from, um, or when you, when you order food online or not online, on the phone or you make a doctor's appointment, do people recognize your voice and, and um, they? Not so much, not in everyday life. I don't think cycling is so big, you know, uh, that you get to that point. But if I walk into a bike shop or a cafe, bike cafe, then yeah. Okay. A lot. They look at you and say, well, I know you from somewhere. I know your voice from somewhere. Yeah, I know. Everyone looks and then they go, I know your voice. Why do I yeah. know your voice? And that's, and it's really nice when they realize. Yes, yes I'm sure. Yeah. Yes, pretty good. Um, and you said that the passion with cycling came with your dad and you were cycling yourself. And how did it come that it was cycling and not any other sport? You, what is so special to you about cycling? Um, before that point, I was mad on football. Okay. I was crazy about football. I used to play football as a kid for club teams and school teams and everything. But cycling's really different, isn't it? It's and back in 1982 in Britain, no one really knew what what um, cycling was. You know, no one knew that about the sport in any detail whatsoever. Mm -hmm. And there were only very few uh, British bike riders. Yeah. Um, But for me, it was the color and the history and the personalities and just the speed of it. And also when you're, when you're young and you can go out on a bike and you can, you can just go out for a couple of hours. I know back in the 1980s, I could ride in Britain and my mum and dad wouldn't worry about me going out for three hours in the afternoon. And it's that freedom, isn't it? And with yes. your mates and riding in the snow and riding in the rain and going yes. to places it's just yes. escape isn't it a lot of the time yes and it's uh, but in terms of the sport it's just color and speed for me nice yeah and you can do the same you can do the same routes like the professionals maybe only at, at the half of the speed if, if ever uh, but it's nice to to get out and relax and everything out that's nice very good yeah yeah you were commenting the, the olympic games in london in 2012 and in rio 2016 so yeah. I can't even imagine, you know, Olympic Games, I've never been there and I, I was planning uh, to, to go maybe to Tokyo to see this or ever any, any chance I will have, but um, yeah. how did you cope with the pressure of obviously such an event and everything is live and um, how, how was this when they asked you to do the, the voice of 2012 for, for London? Uh, London was really, I couldn't believe I'd done it. 
Um, because before London, uh, when, when London was awarded the Olympic Games, I still had a proper job. I wasn't working in cycling. So six years before, seven years before, when they awarded the Olympics, mm-hmm. I went to a talk in London with a company I was working for. And I was commentating part-time and working for Eurosport in my holidays and all that sort of stuff. And uh, I went to a talk by Lord Seb Coe when they were when they were awarded the Olympic Games, and I remember sitting there and he talked about how how they'd won the games and everything, what it was going to be like. And I remember sitting there thinking, "This is it. I have to work on the Olympics. There has to be a way that I can work on the Olympic Games." And if you fast forward to 2011 the first opening of uh, one of the uh, stadiums for the Olympic Games was the velodrome. Mm -hmm. And when the velodrome opened, I introduced Lord Coe live on TV to open the velodrome. And I remember uh, walking to the station to get the train into London that day, or the night before actually, and it was me, and at the event there was Vicky Pendleton, Sir Chris Hoy, Lord yes. Coe, Boris Johnson, actually, who's now the Prime Minister. Yes. Um, it was all of us who were opening the velodrome. <clears throat> Excuse me. And uh, I remember walking to the station, I burst into tears. Walking to the station. Anyone who saw me must have been thinking, what is this guy, what's wrong with him? <laughs> because I realised, I just, suddenly the emotion of yes. realising that the dream I'd had many years before was about to happen and I was about to introduce the opening of the London Velodrome that was ultimately going to be the gold factory that it got called um, a year later and that was amazing like to do that was incredible and then I got asked to do the game and every day was just it was just a dream job yes like to do the Olympic Games once is amazing yes to do it in your home country is incredible and the team we had were just brilliant. And the performances were just stunning, weren't they? Like the, yes. the velodrome, the road race were just, they were out of this world. The time trial was just, yeah, they're incredible memories. I'm really privileged to have done that. Yes, yeah, you had an amazing team. I think it was one of the most successful uh, teams on the uh, Olympics for British cycling. I think it was just amazing. And obviously, uh, yeah. that's fantastic. If you're in your home country, as you said, and you can commentate all this, do you live in the oh, in UK? You live in the athletes' village, or how how does this work? And how close are you with other athletes? And did you get to see other sports as well? The Olympics is is so huge. It's just it's it's a gigantic event. Um, mm-hmm. No, you uh, you generally don't go in the athletes' village. So you are either in a hotel, or in the case of London, we were in university accommodation rooms and. Um, all of us were, uh, so you just travelled in and out of your venue, or you got picked up and taken to your venue. Uh, in Rio, we were we were really lucky. In Rio, we were on Copacabana Beach in a hotel, so that's okay. I can yes. handle that. That's really nice. Uh, so we used to run in the morning on Copacabana Beach and then go to the velodrome or go to the venue. Uh, but you don't really go in the athletes' village, not at all. Did you see any other sports events? 
in Rio, we went to a couple. So we went and watched some tennis. Um, we went to watch beach volleyball, which was incredible. Uh, in London, no, not so much, actually, because uh, it's really tight. You're, you have this accreditation, your pass, yeah. which is like gold dust. And um, no, you you can't go into other venues unless you're invited. Yes. And you're given that pass. Yes. Sometimes you get to be invited to quite special things. So yeah. when uh, in Rio, I have two in particular, uh, the night that, of the time trial, Kristen Armstrong, who won the gold medal for the yes. USA in the time trial, she messaged me and invited me to her celebration in the USA house. Wow. She was like, wow. And I have a lovely photo with her. And she just said, I just want you to be there because you announced me as the winner in London and you've announced me in Rio. And then the other one uh, was Fabian Cancellara invited me for a glass of wine to celebrate his time trial win as well. Oh. And that's, and he's like, why? You know, that's really lovely. And again, it's because he said, "You, I want to remember because you announced me onto the podium." Very nice. So they're Very beautiful nice. moments, you know. Yes. yes. Is there any other moment you would remember from 2012? Any sports event which you 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 remember vividly um, from from the games? There's a few. Uh, I think I can still visualize. Mariana Voss and Lizzie Diagman now coming round the corner in the, on the Mall on the first day of the road races. And I can still see the sprint because they'd been pouring with rain and it was horrible. And, and I guess it was your first call of the win of an Olympic medal ever in the Olympic Games. So that always sticks in my mind. And I always say, if I see Lizzie, I kind of sometimes remember her of that uh, because that's a really special moment. I think um, there's one race in particular on the track, which is Chris Hoy beating uh, the German rider, unfortunately. Mm. Uh, yeah, they were going together in the Kirin um, round the bend, and Chris Hoy somehow just manages to pull ahead, and he wins that, that medal. And then, of course, who can forget Bradley Wiggins winning the time trial? Yes. Because... Wow. That in Britain, that was a huge day because he'd won the Tour de France, yes, and then he won the time trial in the Olympic Games. So it was it was an absolutely crazy day. Everyone was walking around with sideburns. You remember he had sideburns, <laughs> and uh, they had one of the newspapers had done cut out sideburns for you to wear on your face. <laughs> so everyone was walking around like that. The crowd was crazy, and uh, yeah, that those are the three moments that stick in my mind. I remember the big chair he was sitting in, waiting uh, yeah. to, to yeah. get crowned uh, Olympic gold, and he was waiting. Yeah. And yeah, amazing, amazing, yeah, yeah. fantastic, yeah, fantastic. Um, another big milestone is obviously your your relation with RCS and all the events in Italy. So you were the first English-speaking commentator for Milan Sanremo, and not only this, as well for Giro Italia. Yeah. Wow. And that's another moment where you go, how did that happen? Yes. And, I, and funnily enough, how it, how it happened was, was really unusual because I remember sitting in the garden and I got a phone call from 
a promoter of a race in who was promoting the tour of Beijing. You remember the tour of Beijing in China? Yes. And um, I was booked to do another race. And uh, Lorraine said, just go. Like, you have to go. You have to take that opportunity. So we managed to, like, get out of the race I was doing, which was a one-day race or something. And I went to Beijing. And then every day at the end of the tour of Beijing, this guy used to come up to me and say, oh, well done. That was really good. And then at the end of it, um, he gave me his card and said, I'm going to give you a call. And, and it was the... Michele Acaroni, who took over as the head of the Giro. Yeah. And, and uh, between him and Mauro Veni and uh, their team, they decided they wanted to have an English-speaking commentator or speaker as the speaker of the Giro, but they were really worried about doing it because, um, you know, obviously the Giro is the Giro. It's Italian, it's passion, it's, and it's an Italian race. Like, there is no English. And they invited me to Milano San Remo and they said, let's test you out. And uh, I'll never forget the night before because they didn't, not many of them spoke much English and I definitely didn't speak any Italian at that time. And uh, Juzi, who's, she's the head of, you probably know Juzi, she's the head of the sport team in RCS. And uh, Mauro Venue, who's the, race director in the UAE and he's the race director of the Giro he came over and she translated for him and he said to me it's really nice to meet you I'm going to listen to everything you say tomorrow and if you have no passion and if it doesn't work it's been really nice meeting you <laughs> no pressure <laughs> no pressure at all and I, I still I went to sleep thinking wow this is pressure and uh, the next day at the end of Milano San Remo, he came up and said, well done, we'll be in touch. And then, yeah, I've done uh, eight Giro d'Italia now as the speaker. I can imagine, listen, Giro d'Italia is maybe, or the, sorry, the Milan San Remo is maybe one of the hardest things to comment it because it's like uh, 300 kilometers. Yeah, it's the beginning <laughs> of the season. You don't really know. There's not much stories. And then it really goes down to the last 30 kilometers. And then this is when the action is happening. Uh, and we have like 300 million, uh, to 270 kilometers to cover with, with uh, anecdotes and stories about all the riders. Uh, you maybe even the, the race radio is in Italian. So that is, that is who, who won the first year, you remember? When was that? The first ever year I did. Uh, Garen's, I think. Yeah, ah, it would okay. have been. Okay, yes, okay. Yeah, yeah. Ah, that was a fantastic. And then do you remember... Do you remember the year when, um, do you remember the year we had uh, the snow? See, because yes. on Milano San Remo, I'm the speaker. So what we do is we do the start of the race in Milano and then we drive to San Remo. Okay. And we commentate. You know, when you look at the gantry of the Giro and Milano yes. San Remo, there's a little cubicle in the corner. We're in that cubicle on the finish line. Yes. We commentate on about the last 60K. Yes. live to the crowd and we build the crowd up and uh, so we have to get 300k from the start to the finish you remember the year in um Turquino pass when the snow happened yes we've had to do things like that we've had to drive through the snow we've had to get to the finish you know it's uh it's an amazing race to be part of it really is yes 
Yeah, that and um, that year, of course, Gerald Cholek won. The other yes. Winner. yes. <laughs> this is unbelievable. If if you ask people to get into the car once they're kind of frozen stiff, and then kind of you warm them up for a few minutes, get them fresh clothes and maybe a bit of warm tea. But I I can imagine just the pain they must have had in their bodies. Uh, halfway getting warm and then getting back on the bike and then yeah. uh, a cheer like winning that sprint when nobody had a, would have thought about it and and yeah just an unbelievable event yeah everybody yeah, saw yeah. that Zagreb was there and and uh, yeah and then cheer like suddenly uh, makes that makes that move and, and wins fantastic yeah 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 we were driving over the pass and we were like you can't have a bike race here today because the snow was so deep and coming down and yeah Amazing. It's an amazing race, though. Milano San Remo is, I think Mark Cavendish described it. It's like an orchestra. It's like a classical piece of music. Yes. Like it starts really calm and then it builds and builds and builds and builds. And you're right. The last 30K is just incredible. And we have two Italian speakers. So Paolo May and Stefano Bertolotti are with me. We have Italian, uh, we have race radio, Italian race radio. We have Italian uh, people to help us with the information. And it's crazy. And the crowd are going, if there's an Italian attacking on the Poggio, it's just mental. It's like the noise is incredible on the Via Roma. It's stunning. Fantastic. Fantastic. You think it's more difficult to have a one-day classic to commentate? Or is it is it a Giro Italia because it's so long and you... You have to speak kind of all day long because people are obviously following for more than, than the, the last 60 kilometers they follow all day long and you need to know as well uh, the, the villages and you need to a little bit of the history and so how much time does it take you to prepare you prepare for the Giro a day in advance or you do it for the next day because I, I, I can only imagine you can't remember everything so you make a real plan and you know where you're going how long does it take you to prepare a stage in a Giro what I do um I generally do uh, preparation before the race. So a three-week race is so much. You have to prepare to know where you're going, who the riders are, and all that sort of information. But then after that, you can only really prepare a day in advance. And yes. it's funny, you know the riders say they only look one day ahead? Yes. You can only look one day ahead because otherwise you're just all over the place. So you really, every night I get to a hotel, I write, um, I write my notes every yes. single night. I never leave it to the next day because something will happen. So every single night I write my notes, like who's won the stage the day before and where we're going and where the towns are and all the information. Because then you go to sleep and you, you sleep better and then you know that you're going to be all right the next day. But can you fall asleep? I always, obviously, if I have something important and, and you have a notepad next to your bed when you have all these thoughts, because just before I fall asleep, I'm, I'm oh no, this. And then I'm thinking, oh, we'll remember. And then I can't sleep until I, I sit up and, and write it down. Um, how do you, you have any special tips for that? that you <laughs> no, no, none, because I can sleep anywhere. <laughs> okay, <laughs> good. <laughs> I can sleep. It doesn't matter. I can fall asleep anywhere. I don't know why I can just do it. Because if you spend so many days a year in cars going between stages of races, and I think last year I, I was away 200 days. Mm -hmm. So I probably slept in about 170 different beds. You just have to be able to sleep. It's just one of those skills. Yes, very good. 
you've been on stage as well, obviously giving the trophies, giving the jerseys, and, and you, you, you're right there when it happens. How is it to be showered with champagne? How does this feel? <laughs> oh, did you see the photograph where I got showered in champagne? Yes. By Steve I Cummings? follow you on Instagram, so I have seen. So I, <laughs> I thought, how does this feel? Yeah. <laughs> that was pretty smelly for a long time afterwards. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. Stephen, Stephen Cummings thought it would be really funny to pour, but it wasn't just a small bottle, was it? He, pour, yeah. he poured like a magnum of champagne over me on a stage and I was absolutely soaking wet. <laughs> but it's good to be part of it, isn't it? Yes, yes. <laughs> Obviously, you have been since the beginning with the Dubai tour, Abu Dhabi tour, um, UE tour now. Um, was it the first time you came for the race you came to, the, to UE or you have been here before for visiting? No, I'd never been. So... Going to Dubai, I think the first ever race Dubai tour when Taylor Finney won, didn't he? Won that time trial and won it overall. Um, yeah, it was the first time I'd ever been to Dubai. And the first time I went to Abu Dhabi, the same. Uh, but, you know, I've really fallen in love with coming over to see all, all of you over there. It, I even, I've been back on holiday. Okay, nice. Because I just really like it. It's, um, yeah. I just love meeting the people there and I love being part of it um yes. and i think you know dubai's changed a lot since we first started coming yes. and abu dhabi the same but yeah i just i love the hotels i like yes. the restaurants you have and the climate's nice and you've kindly sorted me out with a bike sometimes to go for a ride on the track and i just think it's great i love it yes. do you know any other place in the world where they have a track similar to the al Qudra cycle track no, I think you're unique. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. and it's brilliant, isn't it, to go yes. out there and ride. Um, you get a bit mesmerized by it, actually. Yes. Then, you know, the day, the last day that you gave me a bike and I went out there and you get halfway around and you start to think, if you're on your own, you're like, am I okay here? Have I gone the wrong way? Or am I, am I in the middle of the desert and never going to come back? But it's incredible. And I, I had a conversation with David Miller about it, actually. Yes. He was saying the same. He was saying he loved riding on that track. Yes, very good. Yeah, we had him out there for, for some um, presentation and something. Then we really had a good time. We took him up to uh, Jebel Jays. And yeah, yeah he's, he's a good guy. And obviously, you have some time then to speak to him and, and uh, hear, hear his story. And yeah, the, mm -hmm. the track is good. And I've been there with a, a lot of the pro teams and riders just to, to show them the track, especially the, the early days. And I remember that everyone was doing selfies and pictures and uh, going around in, in Maidan with Marcel Kittel. And I think every round we did, he took another picture of Bush Khalifa because when the sun changes, then yeah. the, the, the light reflections are different. And so he was very excited to get all these pictures going. Yeah, very good. Yeah, yeah. Fantastic. You have any, any special memories from, from Dubai, from the races? Any stories you remember? I think... Um... I always, I think, well, there's obviously, a, there's a few in my mind. The day we had the race stopped because of the wind. Yes. I couldn't yes. believe that, that you could have a race stopped there because of, because of the wind. I think um, the moments when we've had, uh, I think that, I think the first one sticks in my mind just because of the, the fact that we were in Dubai. Yeah. The fact you could have a race there and we were creating something that would become a little bit of history. 
uh, Taylor Finney winning there. I'll always remember the first presentation, which was by the Burj Khalifa. Yes. Uh, which was incredible. Um, I don't know if you realise, but I remember, you know, when we do a presentation, we have protocol to follow. Yes. So the protocol is how you're going to present everything, how you're going to present the winners, who all the dignitaries are, and you have to make sure that you um, present them in the right order and you don't, you don't get his highness after somebody else and all this yes. stuff. So you can't get that wrong. And I remember the first year on the Burj Khalifa, like it was stunning, wasn't it? You had the Burj Khalifa in the background, big presentation. And then partway through, everyone just decided to get on the stage. So I think we had 200 people on the stage <laughs> and we still had we still had loads of presentations to go. Cool. And there was me and Juicy and a couple of others going, what do we do now? <laughs> how, do we, how do we carry on with this presentation? How do we get everyone off the stage? So like in terms of presentation, things like that happen. Uh, I don't think I'll ever forget the day when Marcel Kittel had a punch up in the peloton. Mm -hmm. Remember that when he yes. uh, he was all covered in blood and yes. we were like, "What's happened here?" In the yes. crosswinds, yes, moments like that really stick in your mind. Yeah, yeah, a little bit of a punch. Yes, uh, because bike racing gets really like in those crosswinds. You have to be fighting for position and and everything. So. Just moments like that stick in your mind. Uh, but I think the race now has really come on, hasn't it? Yes. From what it was. Yes. You know, it was a great race to begin with, but it was relatively flat. Whereas yeah. now you've got the mix of going into the UAE and you've got yes. Jebel Hafeet and you've got Hatta Dam and yes. things like that. I love the idea, obviously, as well, that we have seven Emirates and we have seven stages. And I think it really presented the unity of the, of the, of the nation. And I thought it was really nice. And, and as well, let's say, behind the scenes to see all the sports council working with each other. And it was not yeah. Abu Dhabi and Dubai. It was really the unity of the, of the nation. Uh, that was really yeah. nice to see and how, how it all came together and how we now present all, uh, all Dubai and all UE and Abu Dhabi and all the different things. I think it's very nice. And I think the pictures always obviously are, are beautiful going around the world, what, what, uh, it's not only the desert, it's obviously all the landscaping and everything, which is very nice. Yeah, um, yeah. I want to take you to the, to the Tour de France. Obviously that's the biggest event in, in cycling or one of the, yeah. And, um, you have done the Grand Depart, you have done the final stage in Paris. What, what's some great memories you have for the tour? Oh, the tour, the tour and the Giro are really different, aren't they? Like the mm. Giro is just passion and you have moments in that, like when Chris Froome broke away and rode 80k on his own yes. to win the Giro and turn everything on its head. And when Nibali's won the Giro, it gives you goosebumps when you present him on stage at the end. The tour's really different. Uh, I was lucky enough, I was the speaker of the tour with Daniel Monjas, uh, yeah. who everyone knows is the most famous voice of the Tour de France. Uh, he was retiring in 2014 uh, when the tour came to Yorkshire in the UK. Yes. And so I was, I worked with him on that Tour de France, which was pretty special because it was his last race um, mm. as the Tour de France speaker. And his voice is unbelievable. So you have some speakers whose voices are relatively calm and they build their voice up. I think I'm one of those. Like I, I can be quite quietly spoken, but you can ramp it up when you need to. Daniel Manjas's voice is like, is like up here somewhere. You know, he's 
he's incredible. And that voice of the tour I'd heard since I was a kid. So working with him on his final Tour de France was really special. And um, the memory for me of that, of the crowds in Yorkshire, uh, I'll never leave me. I, I think it was <laughs> stunning. I'll always remember the night before the first stage, we were, we were told you need to be on site at 6 a.m. in the middle of Leeds. And, and I said, 6 a.m. in the middle of Leeds, there'll be no one there. Everyone will be coming home from going out partying yes. in Leeds at 6 a.m. No one will be. And, and, I, and I remember arguing about it with the, the person who was directing us. And I just, we're just, why don't we just have another hour in bed? Like, and we'll be, we'll be even better than we will be if we have to be there at six. Anyway, they wouldn't give up. So we had to be there at six. And at 6 a.m., we walked around the corner. It was already full of people. It was, and we were all stood there going, wow, this is going to be something really special. <laughs> and that day was incredible because you had the, the peloton rolled out. The crowd was just off the scale. They stopped. At, Harm, at Harfield House and they were presented by Prince William and Kate and Harry and they cut the tape and everything happened and then they had all those helicopter shots of just you just couldn't see anything, could you? There was just people or riders and Jens Vox going on the attack over the top of the first big climb and him just going this is, this is crazy so for me that will really stick in my mind and at the end of that Tour de France, I was in Paris with Danielle, and I remember him putting his microphone down and saying goodbye to the Tour de France crowd for the last time. And, I, and it was really emotional, like everyone was in tears. He was trying not to be in tears. And he'd done some, I can't remember how many tours he'd done, well over 30 Tour de France. They're really special moments. Yes. Fantastic. I think it's nice that you started, obviously, in, in, uh, in UK to, to present when they started. And I think it was a great presentation. Uh, the weather was nice and, and the crowds were unbelievable. Uh, so that, that present UK, I think, for everyone around the world, when everyone's watching, I, I think you really got a different picture because we think of rain and we think of uh, different weather. Yeah, yeah. It was an amazing place. <laughs> so um, yeah. I think viewers sometimes obviously see only what TV presents us, and it looks all very glamorous uh, in TV, but I'm, I'm sure you see, obviously, behind the curtains, uh, and you, you see a different picture. You have some insights, what happens really behind behind the tour, and how is it to travel with the with the people in the Tour de France? We know about, obviously, to go to remote places, to hotels and stuff. Do you have some good stories about uh, traveling with the, the tour uh, caravan? They have all sorts of things happen. You know, everything's glitzy, isn't it? And all lights and cameras and everything. Um, but there's all sorts of things that go wrong. So I've had a few things go wrong, particularly on big races, because it's always going to be a big race that goes wrong, isn't it? Yes. So I've had uh, one year on a big race in Belgium, I was getting ready. Everything was fine. And, and also, when we, when we commentate, we have very little space. So we are... The amount of space between you and the next commentary team and the tribunes is tiny. So I think people think, like, we have 
you know, big chairs and yes. we have loads of space and it's all glamorous and someone's bringing you in, I don't know, whatever you want. In reality, it's nothing like that. So we have, your co-commentator is practically sitting on top of you and that could be for three weeks. Uh, you don't get, you get brought very little food and drink. You just get through it. Uh, so I can remember one year in Belgium, I think it was on Flesh Will On. Yes. Uh, I was all ready, everything was fine. We were five minutes from live and then you have a countdown in your ear, the director will tell you 15 minutes to live, 10 minutes to live, five minutes to live. With about three minutes till we went live, one of the runners from AFO, so the promoters of the Tour de France, he was being really helpful. And actually now he's, he's got quite a responsible job in AFO. So he came running in and he was like, Anthony, I've brought you food. And he came running in and he brought me frites, so chips yeah. and mayonnaise. And I was like, wow, like we're three minutes from live, but that's nice of you. I don't know how I'm going to eat them. At which point he took them and they dropped all over everything. So we had mayonnaise all over my notes, all over the keyboard, all over. The frites were everywhere. <laughs> and he just stood there and I was like, what am I going to do now? Because everything you touched was oily from mayonnaise. My notes for the whole race were cut. You couldn't read them anymore. Everything you picked up was just sliding out your fingers. And we were three minutes from live. So I just had to do it. And it was horrible because you can imagine mayonnaise on a day just gets worse <laughs> and worse and worse. <laughs> but the whole of flesh a lot, I just had to get through it. So that things like that happen. And then you have moments where... And one of the Tour de France's I was on, uh, we were at the top of a mountain and it started pouring with rain. I was working for Sky, actually. And we were doing live links on the Tour de France from the top of this mountain. And we were literally watching the mud and the water getting higher and higher and higher. And we were covered. And uh, we were somehow managing to stay on air and things like that happen all the time. I've had the desk without all the kit on it collapse two minutes before live with the television, the monitors, everything go. It just, things go wrong. You just have to deal with them. Did you ever have a stage fright when you're on stage and, and kind of you forgot all the names or anything like this you remember? No, I don't remember moments like that on stage. Because, like on the Giro, you walk out to thousands of people and you have to get it right. Yes. Now, that's what you're being paid to do. Yes. I've got names wrong in commentaries okay. before. <laughs> and people <laughs> so remember, remember write you? They, they write comments then and say, oh, I got it right, oh, you got it wrong, and, and things are. All or... the time. Yeah, yes. yeah, all the time. Like, as a commentator, you have to get used to the fact that 50% of people like you and 50% of people think they can do better than you can. And that's fine. You know, yes. I, I totally accept that. Uh, I can remember Milton Keynes World Cup cyclocross. Everything was going wrong. And in our ears, we have people talking. Mm. We have engineers coming in and out. If things are going wrong and you have to try and concentrate. And Sana Kant was leading uh, this Milton Keynes cyclocross, but... Unfortunately, for the first 10 minutes, I called her Sophie Dubois. Oh. And uh, 
the next time I saw Sana, I hadn't really met her properly. <laughs> and I went up to her and I said, hi, nice to meet you. And she went, I'm Sana. You got me totally wrong. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I did. How about Kevin, they all covered with math. I can imagine uh, that that's difficult. Yeah. And that is difficult to see the numbers and stuff like this, Eric. <laughs> yeah, sometimes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But you're a big advocate for, for women cycling. Yeah, you have you have your two companies, Cycle Box and Box Woman. Um, mm. And you're really promoting a lot for, for female cycling uh, in the world. So can you tell us a bit more about these projects? Yeah, Box Women is a project that we started the end of 2015. And I was working on the Women's World Cup. And uh, I just felt I felt that the women had a story and no one was hearing it. Mm -hmm. So we launched a hub called voxwomen.com. Uh, and on that, we have video, we have a TV show, we have podcasts, blogs from lots of pro riders. We have uh, recipes, we have um, mm -hmm. playlists, we have all sorts of, of things uh, on that. And we're promoting women's pro cycling. Mm -hmm. And Back when it started, I felt like if you were a young guy, you know, 12 years old or something, and you you wanted to know about Marcel Kittel or Mark Cavendish or Chris Froome or whoever it might be, you could Google it and you would get every little bit of information you could ever wish. If at the time, if you wanted to know who Lizzie Diagnan was or Megan Garnier or Kristen Armstrong, there was nothing. Mm -hmm. You could You couldn't get anything. So we launched a project with a group of women, uh, Laura Winter, who's been a presenter in Dubai, and Hannah Walker, who's an ex-pro, and Kim Kay, who's Adam Blythe's sister, and a few others. Mm -hmm. And uh, over time, we've built the profile of it. And the aim is that people can now go and read about the pros, read interviews, listen to podcasts about them, watch a TV show. We've even done live streaming of the Giro Rosa. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I'm really proud. Of, I'm proud at the moment of how the team has really responded to the pro, the crisis we're in. Yes. We've been putting out positive news every week, loads of news and loads of blogs and hints and tips, and and it's been really nicely received. And I think we've, I think the riders would say that we've done an awful lot to raise the profile of them as athletes, and that's what I'm really proud of. Very nice. Well done. Well done. We had the UE first ever UCI um, uh, World Tour event for, for women cycling before, just a few days before um, the, the men's event, which was quite a nice event. And we had four stages and really good performances of the of the ladies. Um, yeah, really good. Really good. Yeah, Lucy um, van der Haar won it, didn't she? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. If you would pick three races you have commented on and these would be your highlights of the of the season do you have anything which sticks out that you said this was the, one of the biggest stages or one of the biggest races i've been uh, blessed to witness so the top three races ever yes, that yes. I've witnessed. wow okay um things that stick in my mind uh mark cavendish winning the world championships in copenhagen because mm -hmm. as a british person Seeing a British rider win the world championships for men was unthinkable. Yeah. And that was incredible. And actually afterwards, I was with uh, Rob Hales and Simon Brotherton, who's the commentator for the BBC. We pulled the finish line up 
and it was all covered in tar like it stuck to the ground and then a few months later rob hales sent me it framed a little piece of it signed by mark fantastic and i wow. have it i have very few pits of mem memorabilia i'm not i don't yes. collect things like that so i have a little piece of the finish line uh which is really special uh, yes. so that's for me that's a that's a huge memory um my second one i don't know why but stuart o'grady winning parry roubaix sticks in my yes. mind i think because when i first started full time I used to do CSC's interviews at their training camp in America. Yes. So I'd met Fabian Cancellara on his first ever training camp, Andy Schleck on his first ever training camp, uh, Stuart O'Grady on some of his. And when Stuart won, I kind of felt like I knew him well. So he kind of felt like I was, I don't know, it just, I felt close to him as a rider all day that day, mm -hmm. which is unusual that really sticks in my memory of him winning Paris-Roubaix at that time. Maybe it's because it was early on in me being full-time doing what I'm doing. And then there's two performances recently that really stick in my head. Remco Evenepoel winning the Junior World Championship. Yes, unbelievable. Because, because we all sat there going, this is incredible. Yes. This kid is incredible. And... I thought, oh yeah, he'll win now. He'll really struggle in the world in the yes. world tour. Peter Sagan or someone will give him a real big kicking, yes. and that will be it. And he'll come back in three years, and eventually he'll be strong. But it's not the case, is it? Yes. He's it's it's off the scale the way he's competed. So for me, that seeing the emergence of a young rider like that is just like. It makes you take breath. And then yes. also, Chloe Diger this year, last year in the world in the time trial, I think it's the best women's time trial I've ever watched. Mm. She was just, again, she was a Remco, it was a Remco Evenepoel moment where she just blitzed everybody. She was in a different league. Yeah. So those are moments that stick in my mind. Fantastic. Do you feel you, you took anything from cycling in your personal life? What you've seen and you learned from cycling and you said, this is something I'm, I'm taking over in my, in my own life from all the riders you've seen and all the things. Any lesson you would say, this is what I learned from cycling? I think cycling gives you a bit of discipline, doesn't it? Because yeah. it, I always go back to it, even if I've had months off, because it, It's the time for anyone, I think. You go out on your bike, and whether you go out and ride hard, or you, like me, go out and just ride and enjoy yourself, it sorts problems out in your head. So if you've got something that, like you sit and write your notes before bedtime, you know, yes. for me, it answers questions. So I'll go out and I'll have something in my mind about something, and then by the time I come back, I know what the answer is. Mm -hmm. uh, so for me, it's, Cycling for me has given me loads of friends around the world. You know, people like you, and it's, it's lovely to be able to go to a country and go, I know someone in that country. It's given yes. me a real understanding of culture, different mm -hmm. cultures and how people work in teams, because you can't approach working in Dubai the same way you work in China, the yeah. same way you work in Japan. It gives you an appreciation of people. And the final thing it's given me is... Uh, 
love food in different countries <laughs> because you get to do different things, you know, it's, yes. and taste different things. Yes. Give me so much. I'm really, really lucky. I saw the picture with Gordon Ramsay. So what did he cook for you? Uh, that was at a charity event recently. And he cooked for 200 people and he cooked a mix of different things. Actually, I probably wouldn't eat what he cooked now. So beef was with the main course. Because in the last few months, I've not been eating a lot of meat. Because mm -hmm. I watched that Game Changers program. Okay. <laughs> yes. okay. And it made me think, oh, I don't know. So uh, he took beef and he had a, a dessert of chocolate. You know, like very traditional British stuff. But his food was amazing. Yes. Yeah. And he's big into sports as well. Triathlon and, and cycling and everything. Yeah, so it's good. Yeah. Yeah, I think he's hugely into triathlon. And he yeah. rides a bike a lot. I think when he comes over to Dubai, he rides, he yes. rides a huge amount and runs a huge amount. Uh, Do you get time to ride? Do you still have time to ride your bike? When I'm working on tours and things, mm. never. Mm. Because yeah. And it's mad, isn't it? You're surrounded by the best bikes in the world, best teams in the world. You just don't. So I run or I work out. Yeah. But whilst we've been home since I came home from the UAE, I've been on Zwift every day. Okay. How many bikes Because do you have yourself? N plus one. No. <laughs> How many bikes do I have sitting around here at the moment? I've got three out here, four, five, one in storage, six at the moment. Good. You know. And you have any special wardrobe? How many jerseys? Any special kit you have in your in your selection of clothing? In terms of kit that's been given to me, or just kit yeah. I like yeah. to wear. The, the only jersey I have signed is because I just, I, I don't know what it, I'm, for me, I'm there to put the athletes where the athletes deserve to be. I don't think I should be part of, mm -hmm. do you understand what I mean? Yes. I never ask the riders for a signed jersey or anything. Never. Mm -hmm. The only jersey I have is Mark Cavendish's signed jersey from Team High Road. Okay up on my wall uh, in uh, where I ride Zwift. That's the only signed jersey I have. Okay. This is funny. Almost every talk we talk now about this uh, high road team and, and this, is, <laughs> this is a special team, yeah? Um, That was and, a special team. Yes, yes. Hmm. Um, funny enough, I had somebody commenting on the, on the video with the Tony Martin and he's making now these little race stops. Um, where you can pin your number onto the jersey. And he was the person, Jason Berry, he was making um, the movie with Hyrule. And he commented under the video on, on YouTube. And I thought, oh, I love that movie. And, and now we know, we knew each other from before, but we didn't know about the movie. And, and he sent me now a copy of it. And it was just kind of an amazing wow. story. <laughs> how, uh, how small the world is in cycling. That did you, did you yeah, yeah. Many but how many good riders did they have? I mean... Yes. They had so many good riders. Yes, yeah. And I think that, I think what made it really interesting for me was obviously that movie they made and, and really looking behind the scenes and feeling that team spirit and, and with Tony Martin and with Mark Cavendish and, and all these riders being in the team. It was just an amazing, uh, amazing movie mm. and a uh, fantastic story behind the scenes yeah, yeah. of you. Yeah. You've been following races, obviously, around the world, and you traveled around the world. And would you, would you, what's the best place to cycle, except maybe being home? But is there any place which sticks out for you 
where you say, listen, that's an amazing spot. And I would, if I could choose, I would go back there and ride my bike. Uh, Mallorca. Mallorca. Okay. Yeah. I, in January, I tend to go to Mallorca. The season's quiet. So uh, you can't, there's not much happening. So I go to Mallorca. I spend a month there, rent an apartment and ride every single day. Fantastic. And I, and I have a good friend. And it's the only time, Wolfie, when I can get fit at the beginning of the year. So I have a good friend there who used, he was the founder of Wooler magazine. Yes. Uh, who now lives there with his wife. And him and I go out. He goes out every two days and I go out every day. And I ride with the, the guys from the Rafa Cycle Club there. And uh, I go out with Guy and I ride with him. And I do loads of kilometers. And you see a lot, and actually it's a really good place to go for me because you bump into pro riders and yes. find out how they're getting on. Tony Martin goes there a lot. Yeah. Uh, he was staying near us in January. You see him out training. You see a lot of the pros out training. It's really, and the roads are amazing and it's quiet. Yes. And the food's great. The, the cakes are brilliant. And I love <laughs> it there. Very good. <laughs> And especially with cycle, then you, you can eat, yeah, then you can really enjoy and you don't have to really care what you eat or that in a way then the calories don't really count if you if you put them out. No, they don't, do they? No. <laughs> I have a few quick questions and I just want to kind of um, just give you your one answer. So the greatest cycling of all time, the greatest cyclist of all time, what do you think it was the greatest ever? Wow, the greatest ever. I still think it's Merckx. Merckx, yes. Yeah, because no one's really matched what he's done. So in terms of who is the legend, Merckx, for me, who, who do you get starstruck by? Uh, Bernard, you know? Mm -hmm. I remember being in a lift with him in Japan at okay. Tour de France Criterium, and I was like, wow, this is Bernard Eno. Because you know, I grew up watching him in a Tour de France. But for me, uh, you know, Eno was just incredible the way he rode. But Merckx is the legendary rider, isn't he? Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Who do you think is the greatest sprinter ever? I don't think... I think it's really hard to say Mark Cavendish isn't the best sprinter that's ever yes. been. How, uh, 30 stages of the Tour de France, 15 stages of the Giro... Winner Milano Sanremo, winner World Championships, Green Jersey Tour de France. I mean, you can't, you cannot. How can you argue against him? Yes, no, fantastic, no, fantastic career. Yeah, and, and a really nice guy. I had the pleasure to meet him a couple of times here in Dubai. Uh, really good, really nice. Yeah, and, and who is then the greatest lead out man? Is it then uh, Mark Renshaw? <laughs> is Mark Renshaw the best lead out man of all time? I'm not sure he is. Yeah. I think he's up there. Yeah. For sure. But I think some of Cipollini's lead-out men were as good. Yes. You know, that train that Cipollini had was stunning, wasn't it? Yes. When you look at the I way mean, they like, used to lead him out. Established this concept of having a whole team around one uh, specific person. Yeah. I love exactly. that picture of Mark Rancher and Mark Cavendish on the shows and they say when, when they both yeah. separate. Having yeah, yeah. Arms. <laughs> I thought that that was just make it so special that that win and that picture and they were uh, in in that in that 
yeah, that somebody got to take this picture. It was just amazing. Yeah. Yeah. The yeah. I agree. Climber, I agree. The greatest climber of all times. The greatest climber of all time. Wow. That's a really good question. We're talking men's cycling here, aren't we? Yeah. Uh, so the greatest climber of all time. I don't know, actually. There's so Who many good climbers. There's so many good climbers. See, because I, I grew up watching Robert Miller yeah. as, the, as the best climber in the Tour de France. You know, for me, Robert Miller in the polka dot jersey was like, because he was British, so you kind of yes. wanted him yes. to win the tour. Um, we can give him the title. I don't think he's the best climber of all time. Do yes. you know, I think we're going to see the best climbers of all time coming now. Yeah. Because I think it's going to be really, really hard to not see riders like Egan Bernal be the best climber of all time. Yeah. You see any other talents coming up? Who is the biggest upcoming talent in cycling? I think we've mentioned two, haven't we? So Remco Evenepoel. Yeah. We've mentioned Chloe Diger in the women's racing. I think Chloe's going to go on to do, if she decides to race big races in Europe, then she's going to be legendary. No doubt whatsoever. There's a lot of really young up-and-coming riders that are going to, I think, I think cycling is going to be turned on its head in the next couple of years. Mm -hmm. And all the young riders are going to be the riders that we need to be looking at. Tade Bogacar and riders like yes. that. I mean, he's, what a rider he is. Yes. Egan Bernal, Carapaz, he's not so young, but, you know, those riders are just going to, they're going to change how cycling is. Who is the funniest guy in the peloton? Who do you think is, is uh, from all the riders? Most fun. <laughs> the most fun rider in the peloton. I don't know. There's not much joking goes on, is there now? Yeah. It's quite serious. More serious now. Yeah, it's really serious. Um, who more jokes around? There's not too many jokers anymore, to be honest. Stephen Cummings always used to have a good laugh on the podium and have a joke and a laugh and chat brad wiggins was hilarious like you never knew what you were going to get i think guys are more the more just media engaging than they are yes. funny yes. so those riders you enjoy just meeting on the podium so i always enjoy talking to alia viviani i think he's amazing yes. with the media and riders like that uh who are just fun to talk to okay. as opposed to being funny sorry yes who do you think is going to win the Tour in 2020, the Tour de France? <laughs> Let's hope it happens. Yes. For a start. Uh, Egan Bernal. Egan Bernal, again. okay. Yeah. yeah. Do you shave your legs when you go to Mallorca or all year round? or not? <laughs> At the moment, they're definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't ride my bike enough to at the moment, but yes, they need doing sure next time <laughs> i go ride him in the sun because you know i think uh, you have to be fit enough to do that yes and i think i'm getting a bit fitter on zwift so i think i can do it now and i'd look all right and you join <laughs> when you do swift you do you ride by yourself or you join events join events quite a lot yes. we have a group we have groups of riders now that we kind of meet up with i got invited to your 
ride this week, but it was 3.45 in the morning. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm not going to do that. Uh, but no, we have a group. We have a box women group who go out, we'll go out, go and ride on a Tuesday. Yes. Um, we have a Mallorca group who ride on a Wednesday. And we have a group on a Sunday with Ashley Moorman Patio as well. So that's the nice. Oh, nice group. to connect all the world from all over the place. And yeah. as long as you're kind of in a similar time zone, you can you can meet up and you can you can ride together. That's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's really good. It's really good. Do you have a party trick or any special talent? <laughs> you you messed, you said we might do something like this. You know <laughs> yeah. when you go to um you know when you go to like some dinners. Yeah. Formal dinners. Yes. And you have to sit on a table and everyone doesn't want to talk. Yes. Yeah. Well, you know, like you have your napkin, yeah? Yes. So what, there's always been a little trick that I've got with a napkin. Oh, so yeah. as you're talking to people, um, you can fold it, yeah? So you, you fold it a little bit like this. Yes. Okay. And then, because people on tables at formal dinners don't want to talk at all, and they... They're trying to shout across a, a big, big group of people. So if you just want to get everyone smiling and have a little bit of a laugh, then as long as it works, which I hope this will, <laughs> then you can fold it and pull it together and make a chicken out of it. See? Ah, yes, very good. It's a chicken with a broken leg, but well, there we go. A chicken <laughs> yeah. out of a napkin, huh? Does that work? <laughs> okay. So you said you bring your own food. Yeah, and then and then you get everyone <laughs> round the table to do it. It just breaks the ice. Very good, fantastic. Thank you. <laughs> um, who do you follow on Instagram? Are you on Instagram? And who do you follow on Instagram? Is there yeah. anyone specific you always check out and you always see? Is it cyclists or is it somebody else out of out of cycling, uh, outside cycling you follow? Yeah, I'm on Instagram, and I think Instagram's great, isn't it? Because it's yes. just a bit interactive and it's really visual. And yes. as a commentator, you want visual stuff to look at and and uh, learn about i follow a lot of riders yeah uh, in particular who do i follow nico roach is really okay. good to follow he's really active on what he does he posts old photos every day and he always shows what he's up to i follow some people who do a lot of cooking because i love to know what recipes they're doing mm -hmm. uh, so there's some places in mallorca some restaurants and some chefs that i follow um and uh just friends yeah but I, i think it's great like to follow and see what everyone's up to and if you're on swift you listen to music what's on your spotify playlist what's the top hits right now you're playing <laughs> uh it varies sometimes we're on discord and chat to each other yes have you done that so no. you're on that so there's an app you can download on your phone called yes. discord it's a gaming app And then you can all link into it and you can chat to each other as though you're in a peloton. Ah, oh, fantastic. Ah, oh, that's a so good idea. So on a Sunday, yeah, it's brilliant. So on a Sunday when we have, uh, so Ashley Moorman-Patio's group. Yes. So she rides for CCC. She has, the whole group is on Discord and you can mute it so you don't hear people breathing. But when you want to speak, you just chat. So we chat about everything as though we're yeah. riding along together. So that's yes. really good. If I, if, If I'm listening to a playlist, I have a real mix of things. So I have bits of music that remind me of a race and bits of music that remind me of just growing up and different things. So I would have 
I would have The Way It Is by Bruce Hornsby in the range. Okay. He's got a really good piano intro. Uh, I would have The Real Slim Shady by Eminem. Okay, good. I'd have Firestone by Kygo because it's a, re a piece of music we play on the Giro all the time and we all like to dance to it. So I had to have that. And then a mix of like older stuff. So a bit of Prince, Purple Rain. Yes, very cool. Some Coldplay. And then you have to have some Oasis as well. Some real like angry, like British. <laughs> anything on your bucket list you want to you wanna achieve, you want to do? Anything jumping out of a plane? Anything you haven't ticked off the list? Is there anything? I've got one thing. And I can't tell you what it is because I'm going to do it next year. Okay, then we, we do this again next year and then we... Yeah. Okay, you tell yeah. me the UE tour. Yeah, I've got one thing that I really have always wanted to do. And just before the lockdown happened, I agreed to do it next year. Good. And I can't wait to do it. I hope it happens. Fantastic. Yeah. Do you have a favorite quote or a favorite saying you, you, which inspires you? Um, my dad had a quote that he always used to write down. Um, and I know there's a couple of other quotes that uh, one, one quote in particular that someone told me. And that is, and it's a bit of a weird one, but I guess it's true. And that is, in every adversity is sown a seed of equal or greater benefit. Mm -hmm. So whenever you have a challenge, something good is going to come of it and be even better. It's probably pertinent for now, isn't it? Yes, yes. And my dad always used to say, whatever you can do, do your best. Whatever you can't do, try your best. Nice. And so those two quotes are ones I always remember. Very nice. Thank you. Thanks for sharing. I have quick ones, and then we're almost at the end. Um, when you sing karaoke, because obviously we know you're... Your voice is good. Which song would you perform? Well, on karaoke. Um, normally an Oasis song. Oasis. Yeah, because you can just shout it and then you get away with it. And it sounds <laughs> right. Everybody sings it well. <laughs> Very good. Okay. Uh, for drinks, for drinks, is it espresso or cappuccino? Espresso. Is it in food? Is it fine dining or burger? Hmm. Fine dining, actually. Fine dining. I love, I love trying really cool restaurants. Good. Good. Yeah. What was the last really good restaurant you were? Again, in Mallorca, there's a load of really good restaurants, but the the one restaurant that sticks in my mind uh, was last year in the Pan American Games. One of the top ten restaurants in the world is in Peru, in Lima. And it was round the corner from our hotel. Okay. And you can't get a booking for four months. But somehow we managed to talk them into letting us wait and seeing if someone didn't turn up one night and they didn't. And we got a table. So me, the DJ and a couple of people went. And yes. we had an 11-course dinner. Wow. And it was off the scale, most amazing night I've had for a long time. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Nice. When you go for holiday, you go for mountains or beach? Um, I do both actually. I love going. I love going into the mountains and go skiing. But I, 
I think the last holiday I had, which wasn't going to Mallorca in January, was a week in Abu Dhabi. Yes. Which was literally, didn't do a thing. Because I'd been away for 200 days and I just needed to lie on a fun lounger. Nice. Yeah, that's <laughs> good sometimes as well. Yes. Yeah. If you could spend a day with one person dead or alive, who would that be? Wow. Um, that's a really difficult question. Barack Obama. Okay. I think he's a really interesting person. Yes. I think he'd be, uh, I'd just like to understand what went on yes. in the White House. Very good. Yeah. Or Nelson Mandela, if not. Yes, we had him before, Nelson Mandela. Yeah. Mm. Um, um, Wolf Aldak mentioned Nelson Mandela. He's in South Africa right now. Yeah. Yeah. Anthony, it was more than an hour. I think we broke the record. Yeah, I think we were really long with you now and, and uh, really, really appreciate your time. Um, do you know Alex Dowsett? I know Alex really well, actually. He, he called me about two days ago. Okay. Yeah. We got is he on. your next guest? Yes, he is going to be on on Friday, uh, okay. 7 o'clock. Uh, we're going to speak about one hour of his life, uh, in particular uh, when, he, when he was going for the, for the World uh, Hour record. And um, mm -hmm. yeah, that's going to be this, this Friday. Um, thank you so much for the time. I think it was really incredible. I, I was expecting it to be nice, but I think we had some really, really good insights in, in your life and in the, in the back of the, of the tour and about talking about all these amazing events. So I'm really looking forward to see you uh, coming back to the UE and um, li listening to all the stories you have to tell us uh, during hopefully Tour de France and all the other events coming up. And um, it, I think you do something really special and I really want to acknowledge you for this because I think what you give to people is not only watching the races, I think you really give this depth of information and you make cycling just this extra little bit of special. It's already a special sport, but I think with all the stories you have to tell and with all your knowledge, uh, you, you make it extra special for all of us. Thank you. Thank you very much. And, and uh, thank you for making me so welcome when I come over there. I really appreciate it. And thanks to everyone for your time. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Have a good evening, Anthony. Yeah, stay Thank safe. Bye-bye. Thank, Thank you, everyone. You. Bye -bye. See you next Friday. Bye-bye.